welcome back to the Y Hockey Periodical Podcast. Before we talk about all the stuff we have to talk about today, and there is a lot, I have to bring up two things, if you'll permit me, Tommy, to start this show. The first of which was something that very much surprised me. Uh, I was traveling last week after the final ended. This was pre-scheduled, and I'll get to that in a second. And I'm coming home to see some family on uh, Patco, the beautiful... Philadelphia, South Jersey public transportation system. You know what we're talking about. Most of you know what I'm talking about. It's a beautiful public transportation system that doesn't break all that often, unlike the DC Metro. And when I'm coming home, I see an advertisement in one of the Patco stations that they opened up a Tim Hortons in South Jersey. That this is the thing that happened. This is one of the end stages of Ed Schneider's dream when he brought the the flyers into Philadelphia was eventually there'd be Tim Hortons dotting the, you know, the tri-county area. And here's what is interesting about it. I'm not mad because I don't, Tim Hortons doesn't make me mad. I have been into Tim Hortons before. I didn't eat at that Tim Hortons. This was many, many years ago when I was on a trip to Western Canada. But I want to make the point to the people who are running this Tim Hortons, who I wish nothing but success to, that you know you're entering Wawa territory, right? <laughs> You know there's a wall on every street corner around here. But I I will say the quality of Dunkin' Donuts has gone down according to the few people. I don't drink coffee, so I'm... I'm Neither do I. It's amazing you found two non-coffee drinkers who cover hockey in one place. Yeah, the hot water and tea bags are mainly the same store to (laughs) whatever chain you go to. But, um, you know, Dunkin's gotten a little too syrupy and a little less coffee beans you know grounds and stuff so uh i don't know i'm a big tim hortons fan as far as competition newness but yeah wawa's easier for me because i'm going there for other stuff so for whoever drinks coffee can can get it i mean the day that tim hortons starts selling soft pretzels i I will very strongly consider it but until then i mean i'm probably going to go see it just because out of morbid curiosity, I, I have to see it because it's a Tim Hortons in South Jersey. It doesn't make much sense. I texted our friend Jeff Merrick, friend of the show, and I said to him, there's a there's a Tim Hortons opening up near where I live and near the Flyer Skate Zone, where I used to live. And, uh, yeah, you guys have won. The Canadians have won. So, there, there you go. He laughed at that. Um, it is not that far away from the Skate Zone. So, uh, for those uh, coming into the Flyers organization, maybe they're doing it just for Danny Briere. So... You get your Tim Hortons not too far away. And yeah. so I'm definitely going to see Tim Hortons stuff point. at the skate it, zone going forward. At, at this point, anything's a small victory for the for the Flyers. Um, like the uniforms. So, yeah. And which, we'll, yeah, which very happy about. I'm sure we'll get to it. But yes, we will. I think, you know, um, you know, starting off with just recapping that cup final, uh, man, it wasn't maximum pain. Uh, which I've been talking about, but it felt like it at times. Uh, well, how many the... players were playing in maximum pain? <laughs> Seemed right, like yeah. everybody. <laughs> but, it, I mean, that final game, when it was over quickly and the score just kept going up and up and up, and uh, you just knew that this was going to be – that was going to be a talking point for the years to come. Uh, it, it That really – sucked because it really took away from what was a, a, a pretty pretty great and what's going to be a really memorable run, you know, with time. It was an awesome run that it's funny how I was 
at an event, a live podcast recording for Split Zone Duo, a wonderful show, which a friend of mine, somebody, Alex Kirster, who gave me one of my first jobs in media, hosting the Testudo Times podcast, which I did for four years. They were doing a live show in D.C., and I went to that. It was the first time I've traveled in years. And I was talking about that with some people because they mentioned that you, you like the Panthers, you follow them, and I do this show. And it took me a while in the midst of the run to appreciate just how crazy it was. And it didn't really hit me how crazy it was, as I have said on this show, until the four-overtime game, in which, at that point, I said I thought they were going to win the Stanley Cup. And when Eric Stahl scores the first goal of the Stanley Cup final shorthanded, I'm going, how are they going to lose this series after that to start, to start yeah. it off? Well, they, they found a way, but <laughs> I don't even really blame them for it. Because, as we learned by the end of it, like half the team is grievously injured and playing through horrific stuff. And... And I'll get to this as we go along to talk about this series. Like, this is the first time that they faced a team that wasn't actually intimidated by the way they were playing. And this is the first time a team had a punch back. And the Panthers' flaws that we knew were their flaws all season, they didn't really show up in the first three rounds of the playoffs, but they showed up here. And Vegas was uniquely uh, set up to exploit it. And as frustrating as it was to watch it end the way it did, on the whole, I, I can't even be all that mad or even that frustrated. Like, they could have done better in certain areas, and they should have, but it comes in the midst of a run that was so special and so unique and in some ways just out of nowhere that the loss doesn't really hurt that yeah. much. I mean, it. I, I agree yes and no. Like, I, I mean, I understand, and, and I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a mixed bag with it, uh, you know, like it is memorable. It's better than the 96 run. It's the best se season, you know, in the playoffs for the Panthers. Obviously the regular season wasn't the best, but you know, you, 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 you kind of blur last year and this year and it's a pretty fun year. Um, and you know, the, the best thing coming out of this playoffs is we can shut the Leafs fans, the Bruins fans and the Canes fans up with a few words each, you know, Canes fans, it wasn't really a sweep, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like we, we got them Leafs fans. I mean, that's obvious. We, we, we beat them pretty, pretty handedly. Uh, you know, we got them all in a stir. We got them to fire, fire people, um, after winning a round finally. And we, we rained on their parade once they won that round. Uh, so that and, was and the Bruins, I mean, like all yeah. the Bruins fans that come to Sunrise in the future, you, you're gonna have to. They're gonna have to hear about that series the rest yeah. of their lives. At least, at least the Bruins, you know, can can kind of clap back with that. You know, they've had a re more recent cup. The Canes is is a little old for a cup win for for this group of fans. Well, to think that they really... have not the Carolina Hurricanes won a conference final game. They've lost 12 straight since yeah. that winning that series against Buffalo in 06, which is just one of those weird flukes. But it wasn't even the fact that the teams that they beat and look, beating Boston and Toronto is really really fun and I have much more sympathy for the Hurricanes and maybe that's because Corey Schneider is one of our friends and he's on this show all the time. And the way it ended was just, it was frustrating for them considering, but they had injuries too, although injuries aren't an excuse. But the fact that it was as memorable as it was, like, 
we're going to not even just this offseason, but in the future, when you're feeling down, whether it's about the Panthers or anything else, you can go on YouTube and you can watch the highlights of this run and you'll have 10 to 15 great moments to choose from of stuff that will make you happy from just this run. And you can pick whatever it is you want. Yeah. Whether, whether it's, whether it's from the Boston series, there's so many great moments from that series, whether you want the Toronto series whether Carolina or even in this series, you could go and watch game the the girls from the end of game three, and it'll make you happy. And it's as it, yeah. and they said like if they got swept, it would have been it would have been rough. But to have the uh, win, it's still it's still rough. Oh, it's still rough. This, but to have the win, the way they got was... the win at home in the Stanley Cup final is a moment that obviously it's a little more hollow because of the way the series ended. But to enjoy that moment and to see. Matthew Kachuk with a broken fucking sternum. Apologies for the swearing. I try not to do that on this show. But he scored a goal with two minutes to go in the Stanley Cup final, grievously injured, to help them win a game. And that's... You're never going to forget that. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. I mean, they it's the way they won it. It was really enjoyable. There was They won in big moments. It had the drama. But they didn't lose many games. So they didn't really have the stress. Uh, you know, and when like, they lost games four... against Vegas, it was they were pretty comprehensive for whatever reason. Yeah, they were. Yeah, but I, I mean, go, I like, want to start like... with the positives before we go to the negatives. Yeah, about yeah. Everything so, here. so just kind of buttoning up on the run because we've recapped all the different series and stuff, and and by now everyone's kind of figured it out. But you know, they they won the big moments. That was something they struggled with. They they did adapt. You know, they were able to punch back. They were able to punch last. Uh, they were able to get to play their brand of style of hockey before and after whistles. Uh, everything kind of went their way. They had good injury luck up until you know that final that transitioning into the final series. Um, so you know there it was just great. You had two goalies and both of them played above what you were expecting them to play in the playoffs i could i think you can say um maybe it didn't last as long for alex Lyon as some people wanted or hoped but you know he he played admirably for for what you'd expect and that was a big uh experience for him and if he happens to be the backup goalie next year or for you know the the panthers or for whatever team i think he's going to be able to to get some wins out of uh, his starts uh, for that team. Um, but you know, it just all came that final, like it, everything kind of flipped. They had to work really hard for any luck, uh, a lot harder than they had to work for it in the other series. Obviously, uh, the officiating was, um, that was horrible officiating. And again, I'm going to preface this saying, I'm not complain I'm not saying the refs or injuries are why the Panthers lost. Even with those two things, the Panthers could have won this final if they did X Y and Z. So I'm not blaming it on them. But the the officiating was excruciatingly bad uh and the injuries were were pretty pretty tough, especially when you contextualize it that they didn't have depth all year. So even though they had guys now, um, they didn't have the, the experience of jumping in and, you know, 
being ready for the moment, uh, having more reps, et cetera. I, I, you know, that's one thing I wish Florida did over the course of the year was have, I mean, with the salary cap, they would have had to figure out a way to get some more depth. But I think, you know, they, they, in hindsight, you wish they would have got more creative. But to have more depth players, rotate them throughout the lineup more, so when injuries happen, you have plug-and-play guys, and it's not so catastrophic. It's not so devastating. Um, and you also don't have to have guys play through devastating injuries because Fitzgerald, like, you know, maybe Gudis would have had a little more time off with a high sprain and then would have been a little more better for the final if they had a defenseman they could play and trust to play some minutes. Um, and it, that just wasn't the case. Uh, so, like, there's just those types of things that finally caught up to him. And then the biggest one was Maurice and the coaching staff just finally ran out of adjustments. adjustments. And maybe it's because they ran out of players to make adjustments with. But, um, you know, it was reminiscent of Brunette in Tampa Bay a bit with the power play going over and no real big changes. Uh, I mean, so, tweaks and stuff, but I, I don't know. I, I, it, I'm not saying they weren't trying things. Uh, it definitely looked like he tried more than Brunette, but it, the effects were virtually the same, which is just, you know, really unfortunate and tough to swallow. It's unfortunate when you watch a team that was getting the kind of I don't want to even say it was all lucky because it wasn't, but their timing was always good. They always knew when to make the right adjustments. That was my biggest takeaway from the Boston series was how Paul Maurice adjusted so quickly in game two of that series when Bennett was back to put the lines together that we saw really the entirety of their great run. And they just kept working with that. And at some point, it is players. And Paul Maurice didn't trust, I think, enough players throughout the course of the season to, you know, put guys in when it was clear, you know, Matthew Kachuk is playing, you know, with a broken sternum and Aaron Ekblad's got 15 injuries and Brandon Montour's got a torn labor. I'm like, at yeah. some point, there's going to be too many things to overcome. And hockey players are wired to be extremely uh, weird. Like, they're not, they don't think the same way that the normal people do, like I am at least. But you can, you can... You can it's it's less hurt it's less painful when you have better depth pieces around it. I mean, I think it was very obvious by the final series that the defense was just not talented enough, mobile enough, and good enough with the puck to get out of the zone when they needed to get out of the zone. One of the things you need your defensemen to be able to do is relieve pressure when demanded of them. I mean, that's that's how you win in the final. That's how you win four series in a row. Uh, Vegas was very good at it. Uh, and and like I like I said that this was the first team that I th I thought would be able to get to Florida's D and challenge them in the same way that Florida was able to to other teams. And how this was the big test for Florida's defense. And I think, you know, some of the D shown well when injured, and other D really, um, you know, Gudis was, his mobility was really 
lacking but that was you know high ankle sprain but high ankle sprain at his age do you want to bring that back for next year um you know that's going to be a tough call for zito to make uh but for me uh, it's like the mobility with the like the puck movement the the feet movement the the mobility side to side to keep up with guys on the rush i mean they got turned around and and they weren't able to force a wider lane on rushes for Vegas forwards. Vegas got to the center a lot easier and, you know, three times as much as Florida uh, was able to because Florida's D were getting stretched out on the wall and then unable to get the inside lane and get back on good body position uh, in the middle. It's, you know, they got caught on rushes more than they used to. And you could tell Vegas was ready to exploit every weakness Florida had and just kept kept going at it. And it helps when you start with a 2-0. I mean, that, you know, that's hard to come back, the 2-0 start. So um, they, they were able to play with confidence through the whole series where, and with all the penalties, Florida had to back out. Florida had to start figuring out, okay, now we're down, we're not scoring on the power play, we're not getting as many power plays. Even if our penalty kill's good, it's eventually going to give up goals. We have to start winning games. We have to take our foot off the gas. We can't do do as much heavy forechecking. We can't do because sending those guys deep and then expecting them to back check without getting those chintzy little – like hooks and slashes and stuff like that's what they were calling, but they weren't calling, you know, some of the other stuff, but when Florida did it, they call, you know, like it it just, they had to start thinking too much, changing their game. And Vegas just kept doing plan A, plan A, plan A, plan A, plan A, plan A. And it worked. And, you know, the better team won and it hurts saying that. But uh, Florida is going to have to figure out a way in the next year or two to to get back there and and get the job done. Because the one thing this run I think proved is that the core is is on track, right? I think Zito's the right guy. I think Maurice has won enough people over that he deserves at least another year or two uh, to give it a shot. Um, Obviously, I think that you want to start grooming somebody to to kind of take over because uh, he's not going to be long for it either way with success or not. Yeah, like the core, like Barkov, Kachuk, you know, the players too. Like that could that core is right. Like they were the they stepped up in the moments. Yes, you know some of the depth players like Nick Cousins had some big goals. You know, Eric Stahl put in a goal or two, uh, two. Um, you know, like there, those guys stepped up, but it was re- like the the top guys performed. Like Barkov, Kachuk, Montour, Bobrovsky, Verhage, really stepped up. Ekblad is uh, is up in there. Um, Reinhardt and and Bennett. As uh, as Corey Schneider put it a, a little while ago, like Anton Lindell was probably the best forward for Florida in the in the Vegas series, and. Yeah, I would say so. He looked like he had the most jump, but uh, so it's just it's just they have to. So it's like Vegas. 
you know, they they identified the core, they identified what they wanted to do, and then they just kept changing the parts until they found the parts that clicked. They stacked up on goalies because they were running through goalies like every year, and they they figured out what they were going to do. They they lucked into it, but they lucked into it because they had enough goalies to keep going to they brought in quick at the deadline knowing you know hey we're gonna continue to keep running through all these goalies here but it worked you know they trusted their their scouting teams to get these goalies in um and they keep they like hey we keep finding decent goalies we're able to bring them in and they find instant success i mean i look at also the way that they got forwards you know and that's where the series i think was it was the defense but i mean it's it's the team it's a team that is $14, 15000000 million over the cap because they weaponize their LTIR. If you believe Elliot Friedman, one NHL team has already asked the NHL league office to investigate Mark Stone and the timing of his injury. I haven't, I, I saw that on Twitter. It's apparently in one of, in the 32 thoughts podcast. Um, and so, you know, but like to me, I'm not saying it's they they broke the rules. They're they're I think they are taking advantage of what the NHL has allowed to transpire. The Lightning said, change this rule, the NHL of allowing cap to disappear in the playoffs with no like just wild west. Open up, you know, you can it doesn't matter. Um and, you know, they said no. So Tampa said, okay, we're going to exploit this and win cups with it. And they did. So now Vegas is doing the same thing. And other teams should follow, including Florida, who has a lot of injuries heading into next year. They should be, their goal should be to try to get to $15 million over <laughs> over LTIR. That should be their goal, absolutely. Because then in the playoff time, if people are healthy – you know, why not have Ekblad take longer than needed? He just had multiple injuries. Let him recover and have those individual recoveries and, you know, and, and take his time to really come out full full bore. You know, same, you know, if Bobrovsky needs to, needs to you know, go on LTI, LTIR for a bit in the middle of the year, fine, fine. You know, give him that rest so he's, his games are down because you're going to expect – you know, an extra 20 games or so out of them, 24 games out of them in the playoffs. And, you know, just built that into the schedule. Yeah. If if teams are going to be allowed to do this because, okay, I'm not saying Mark Stone doesn't have injuries. He has a degenerative back issue. I believe that's true. He had surgery and everything. I believe that's true. But I, I believe they intentionally set up the schedule so he would be able to get surgery and then they would just extend his rehab a couple weeks and stuff till the end of the season to make it work for LTIR so they could bring in more people. And they knew that, you know, like, you know, Stone's going to have to get surgery soon. We're just going to see if he can get through to, to at least this point in the season, and then we can take him off the cap. Hey, if it's legal, you can do it, even if it might not necessarily yes, be ethical. I, I agree, but that's what Zito should be trying to do. It, you know, oh, well, the Panthers absolutely. Used, the Panthers were under what they probably could have used this year. They didn't even they they 
I mean, given their position at the time of the deadline, it makes sense for them to do nothing. But they definitely aren't going to be caught in that position again. No, 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 no. And I want to set, well, we'll get to the setting up the future here in a second. I wanted to go over a couple points that you made. And one of them, obviously, is the core, as you said. Um, we always knew that the group that had always that had been there and then what Zito added to it was really good. Like, that, there wasn't a question about that. And the move that, obviously, with Kachuk to add even more, you know the core is, is solid. And because of their ages, and in many cases because of the styles that they play, You've got this core at peak or close to peak for a few more years. You know, Barkov's going to be 28. He's been in the league for a decade. But the thing about Alexander Barkov is the style he plays ages really gracefully. You know, Matthew Kachuk is still pretty young. He's not young, young, but he's he's very much there. Hagee's still got plenty of mileage left. So does Reinhardt and some of the guys on the back end, Forsling and Montour, even if they might be a little bit more up there in age. Montour is going to be 30 when he gets his new contract. Like, these are freak athletes. So you have an opportunity to still get them at the peak of their powers for a few more years. And that's really the goal now. We already knew that this team could do this. I don't think that was ever in doubt. Now it's about doing it again. And what is exciting about the Panthers going forward was not only did I not expect this run to happen, this happened with a team that we expected would be a transition year, and it was because of their self-inflicted cap stuff that they had to do to acquire Kachuk and to go lighter on the blue line than they would have otherwise wanted to. All of that now leads into an offseason where usually teams like Florida have to start shedding players because of the salary cap, which Vegas will have to do, and other teams like Colorado had to do and Tampa had to do. The Panthers don't have to do that. They can add. And that's why this offseason is so critical because if you can build up the depth with the group at the top of that roster, which we know is already there, this team was not deep. Like, they were 10 forwards deep, I think, in our estimation. I didn't really trust Yeah, results. maybe. May, like, if you were stretching it, because at times Nick Cousins played like that, but arguably they could even be only nine deep yeah. at times. And on defense... We, we, our position on Mark Stahl is well stated. They might have been five deep at the yeah. blue line, and they didn't play Gudas yeah. and Maher as much as they could have. I, so yeah. to get to the Stanley Cup final with that, in beating the three best teams in the East, as they did, 11 out of 12 times, which is what they incredible run with a team that was pretty thin for one that makes a run to the Stanley Cup final. And now... With a good offseason, a smart offseason, even if they don't have a ton of resources other than salary cap space, they have the opportunity to lock this in for a while. And what is even most more exciting about it is there, is, there aren't any teams out there that you're going to go, wow, I'm scared of them from a Florida perspective because they just beat the three best teams in the East with a roster that was pretty top-heavy. A deeper roster in an East that's going to thin out a little bit more, like the good won't be quite as good as it has been, just the way that teams evolve over time, Florida's going to be one of the favorites again, as they should be, if they add to the depth in the ways that we know they're capable of, because we've already seen the front office do it multiple times. Right. They've added smart right. depth. They've made good decisions in this area, and you don't have to do another Matthew Kachuk trade, because you already have it. 
it's not just depth though. We, we got to be honest about it because we have, and you know, we the narrative always after the cup is how are people going to copycat the Stanley Cup winner? For me, it's the Vegas always going after talent. That's what Florida has to do too. They need, I still think, a top six finisher. They need a top pair, likely, but maybe, but at least a top four left pair defenseman. And it has to be left-handed because that's how Maurice works. I don't think that's changing over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Mahora will be allowed to play right side because he's earned the trust of uh, Maurice over the season, and it would allow him to maybe stay in the lineup a little more with some of the injuries and play maybe a, an, an accelerated uh, or a, you know higher up uh, role in the regular season. Um, but we'll, we'll see about that. But, you know, they need some top end guys. They need a, they need a shooter. They, they need somebody who can have some finish because, you know, as much as we like Nick, Nick cousins, you know, how he performed in the playoffs, it was better than expected, but where is he? If he buried that goal, like where, where are the Florida Panthers? If he buried that goal for Florida goes up to nothing in game one. It, it, we, you have no idea. I'm not saying they win or whatever, but they maybe it's a three-two. You know, it's it's that changes the, a lot of things. The ripple effect could be huge. Um, and if they can get more guys who are more likely to to bear down and finish those goals, it's going to be something, you know, that's going to have a positive effect in those moments when. You never know what whose stick the puck's going to land on. So the more guys who can sit down and be, who can just bear down and bury that before turning away from the net um, is going to increase the chances that it gets on the right stick in the right moment. It's an interesting point. We're going to mention 32 thoughts a lot on this show because they brought up some key points about this. And I, I still believe that the defense issue that is the top, tier left-hand shot defenseman is still such a very important need for this team. But you can see as the way they played in the playoffs, how close they were willing to play those games. They didn't give themselves a ton of margin for error. And as you said, if a really good chance is falling to Nick Cousins, I mean, Nick Cousins history aside, you don't really want a great chance falling to Nick Cousins of all people. They caught lightning in a bottle with that line. But if you're going to not only be a better regular season team next year, for a ton of reasons, that would be advisable. But also, if you're going yeah. to get the extra goal you need in a moment like that, if they get back to this stage, a finisher is going to be important. And it just offers them more versatility in the way that they can deploy their players. Because at some point, the lines that had been working really, really well for them weren't going to work as well anymore because that's just how it works, right? The lines that Paul Maurice put together in the Boston series were incredible in how good they worked right up until the point when people started to get hurt and it broke down. But the having the ability, I think my also big key for this offseason, is it just depth with a little more top-end talent, which is where I think they need to invest most of their resources. It's adding a little more depth in terms of the things that they can do from a, you know, a tactical perspective and also a lineup perspective. If they can add those elements to their game that Vegas had, Vegas had more than one trick. 
and Florida had one trick that really worked, well, but what's that trick so, stopped working? So what's that look? I mean, for defense, we know. I think we know what that looks like. It's it's having. I mean, I know that they want mobility, and uh, they want you know a lot of offensive instincts and stuff, but they need a more traditional breakout puck management like type of guy you've been saying it for a long time on this show it's a tempo setting defenseman yeah i mean if you want to look at scott niedemeyer and say you know that's what they need but they need somebody who can do that they need somebody who's going to just excel at everything direct everything run the play um and whether you like him or not Eric Carlson's a guy who does that. Whether you think he's going to be healthy or not to, to make the trade worthwhile or the cap hit, or there's a ton of concern. I, I usually only go hard for him just because everybody's so instantly against it and I'm so 50-50 on it, uh, and I just like the player. Um, but, you know, he is the, the one of the only defensemen we know are out there and that the trade ships it would take to get him is a lot under his actual on ice value be because of the context around his age, you know, age injuries, contract, et cetera. And the Carlson, I, we could have the Carlson debate now yeah. because it's going to be talked about. We've heard him linked to I mean, Florida. Yeah, I, think, I think we've, I think we've talked enough about the cup final mm-hmm. and the, and, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's talking was, about this offseason and, and, and adding the things that I think they need to add in order to be back here again. And we'll start with Carlson because we're on this subject. If they missed the playoffs, which for most of March and a little into April, we thought they were going to miss the playoffs. Carlson, I'm almost certain, would have been a Panther because, you know, Carlson would have wanted to come. They would have been, you know, compelled to make another big move. Um, they would have possibly had a Bobrovsky contract they'd want to get rid of. But after this run that they are on, it makes the making of that deal actually in some ways harder because at this point, they're not going to get rid of Bobrovsky. He had, I mean, yeah, the, the, the final was a bit of a struggle, but I don't blame that one on him. And the other contracts that you have are ones you probably don't want to move. So, there's a trickiness in making a deal happen, but on the other side, there are more reasons to think that Carlson would want to come to Florida. We already know he would definitely say yes, because Florida is a great place to live and work, taxes obviously, and also, you know you have a chance to win. But the mechanics of this deal are going to be complicated. I'm not saying that they shouldn't look into it, because they are going to look into it. That's how they do business. And I wouldn't be against it in principle, but it's going to be a tougher transaction, I think, to make than if they had been um, out of the playoffs or didn't go on this run in some way. I think that somebody pointed out that do they need another Montour-like defenseman? He's not... Eric Carlson's not Brandon Montour. They, they do very different things. And also, because you have Forsling and Ekblad when he's healthy, in addition to Montour... You can give Eric Carlson a very different role than Eric Carlson's had for most of his career. You can, in some way, shelter him if you want to with the matchups and the way you use him. Of course, you're going to give him power play time, but theoretically, you don't even have to. So 
you can use him in such a different way than he's been used for most of his career. Yeah, I mean, when people... I mean, I think Florida needs to bring in multiple defensemen. So if they can get a defenseman that... I mean, I'm always someone that says defensemen have to play defense. They have to be able to do this and that. But there's some defensemen that, you know, in any circumstance, you should be trying to get. And I think after the season Eric Carlson's had, he's now put himself back into that realm of defensemen. If, you know, and I think Florida's in is closer to the right circumstance than the wrong circumstance to make it work. And the downside of it not working is he gets retired on LTIR and you have a lot of money to play with uh, at trade deadline and things like that. If and, you want. And, and this is the only year when you're going to face a cap crunch because of it, because it's not going up all that high, but cross your fingers 24 it starts to really go up and then thus the issues with having a Carlson and a Bobrovsky one or more of them could be moved theoretically in that universe the thing with Carlson that I hope if it plays out this way from Florida's perspective is Carlson has his list of places he wants to go and eventually we see kind of like the Giroux situation in some ways where he hones in on I want to go to Florida And thus, Mike Greer has a tough decision to make. What can I accept in this deal? Because I know Carlson wants to go to Florida. He's not really going to accept a trade in many other locations. And the Panthers don't have a ton of things that they they don't have the draft picks to give. The prospects aren't really there. The roster players aren't quite there because they're not super deep. But... If the, it would obviously depend on the contours of a deal, but if they can get Eric Carlson at a discount, I'm using scare quotes for that, compared to what his value actually is and you get a good salary retention on it, and you are able to finagle the situation because Carlson wants to go to Florida among all other places because he knows he's got a great chance to win and he has already stated or intimated that Florida is a place he'd want to go, it's something you absolutely should look into. Now, if they can find that kind of defenseman, that left shot guy for, you know, cheaper because they have good scouts who have found defensemen that have become well, you, more. Either way, you have to get a left-handed No, defense. you have to get a left-handed so. defenseman anyway. And I think because of Ekblad's injury and because Gudis might leave, you're going to need probably two right shot defensemen anyway. But the left-hand shot is something they need regardless because they're even, I mean, I hope they don't bring back Mark Stahl, but even if, God forbid, they do, Mark Stahl's not going to he play can't. the way he did in the playoffs again. It's just not right? possible. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't he... think that's... I think that that was a one-year stopgap for this year when they have $11 million in cap space to work with. And I'm just... Like, the free agent class stinks, but that doesn't mean that the Panthers can't find players who could yeah. really fit the roles that they want. Because, again, who among us expected Brandon Montour to have the season and postseason that he had? And this was already a player who was getting better the minute the Panthers got him. And so you would like somebody perhaps with, you know, a little bit more there there as opposed to having to, you know, do the work with Forsling and the Montours and Mahura types. But they have already proven that they can evaluate those kinds of defensemen and find players who are undervalued. You would like them to not have to do that again for somebody who you want in a premium position. But they can figure something out 
as they've already proven that they can figure it out. But the left shot defenseman is so important. Yeah. And depending on how actually hurt Ekblad is when it comes to missing time, it's four months until the regular season starts, you're going to need a right shot guy because, as I said, as you pointed out very clearly, and there was a great viz from um, Prashant Thier, and go look at his Twitter account, he has the viz of handedness, the amount of time teams played defenders on their offside. Florida was in the bottom five of putting players yeah. on their offside. And if there was two things that I wish Paul Maurice did more of this year, number one was find and trust more depth was number one. And number two was the handedness thing on the blue line, which is why you didn't see Lucas Carlson play because he was a left shot and the left shot guys were all healthy. In this case, if we're going to assume, as you rightly said, that handedness is going to be a big part of what he and Sylvain Lefebvre want to do going forward... You're going to need a left shot to play the left side, and you're going to need right shots to play the right side. And yep. that means you're going to have to evaluate those players. On Gudis, I'm only bringing him back if Radko Gudis is willing to take less money and less term because he likes Florida and he likes the dressing room. Because if, as Elliot Friedman said, like if somebody's offering him three years, Radko, go get your bag. But the Panthers can't do that. You can't I be mean, giving Radko I, Gudis I three think, years. I think he's going to get like a four-something for four years. Like, I think there's going to be a team that's going to go out there and do that it. Is, is, I, I think Radko to... Gudis, I've been defending him more than you have over these couple of years, but that's that's not something I want to do. But, I mean, look, Erica Branson just got that last year. He got four Gudis years. is way better than Erica Branson. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if, you, like, if you are looking for a defenseman that hits, that is good in the locker room, that, like, you know... Uh, is good on can do penalty kills can play a lot of minutes you know like fans are gonna really like him he's gonna sell some jerseys like he's he he's not gonna be a bad signing in a lot of ways even if he's not good enough to match his cap hit because some teams won't care about the cap hit like if i'm arizona or something like he's he's gonna get that place rocking all those college kids when he throws hits you know like i would pay that much money because you have to get to the caps floor somehow well they just bought out two more players so they're, they're yeah. gonna have to work even harder for that <laughs> which is very right. interesting to me but like and here's the other thing with gudas we are not able to quantify the locker room impact which is kind of the reason why zito didn't trade him and as elliot freeman also said like teams had the ability to pull a trigger and didn't and it turned out to be the right move to not trade him but just from a pure on ice perspective that kind of defenseman you can find to have the, you know, to do the things that Radko Gudis well, did. I just, I, I, at some point, I mean, I'm fine with him coming back. I, you know, I would be okay if coming back it's, if the it's contract about, was right. Yeah, it, that's, that's all it's about. But I don't want, I'm not giving him, you know, four million. They just can't do that. But no, the Panthers can absolutely million, not do that. I don't think they can do three million. But here's either. the other thing that makes Florida really attractive this offseason, not just in general, but because of the way that they've operated the last few years. Not only are players going to want to go there because they know, okay, this team's pretty close to winning a Stanley Cup. I can go there and I know they've got a chance to win. So they may take less. Which, when you combine it with the Florida tax situation, and again, I'm not saying players should take less. Theoretically, you should go get your bag and go get your money that you well and truly have earned. No, I think I think that there's I think that there's both both are good. I think you need players to push and take more, but then there's also some players 
who I think should take less to try to win. I think whether you're a star player and you want to do the Crosby model of, you know, Crosby could have got a lot more at any point in time when he was negotiating, but he didn't, uh, you know, because he wanted to be able to I keep I mean, both Matthew Kachuk and Alexander Barkov are yeah. ludicrously underpaid. Yeah. I relative mean, to their value. I, I'm going to say, yeah, Matthew Kachuk definitely could have probably got more, uh, you know, I guess. How much I mean, is he worth? Like, how much, how much how, Hugo is able to get? How much uh, is Matthew Kachuk worth in a world where the cap starts exploding? Yeah. Considering I mean, the, the hockey men fixation with what he does. We don't have to worry about it. No, we I mean, don't. It's great. Which is great. So, it's, And that's why I think they need to go out and, you know, if they can, you know, we were talking about the UFA pool isn't great, but hopefully Toronto is stupid and adds the quality to that by buying out TJ Brody. If they do, Boy, if they be, buy out TJ Brody, I think Bill Zito needs to be on the phone the minute that happens. Well, because when think, I'm thinking of the defense, I'm already, I'm already on, I'm already sending like back channel things. Like I'm trying to get investigated for a tampering <laughs> by, by telling like his agent, like encourage Toronto to buy out your client. Like don't do not dissuade them from this notion because listen, you can come here. We actually win series. We actually do things, you know. If TJ Brody is the defenseman, like if he gets bought out and you might be willing to take less because he's going to have buyout cash. Didn't, I mean, like, you know, Tree Living is traded him, you know? Like, I don't know if Tree Living. Well, no, he was a free agent. He was a free agent. Was he? I think he was a free agent, but he let him walk. So, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I don't know if he's going to change his mind and stuff. And to be honest, Toronto has. Too many defensemen, and it seems like they want to retain Luke Shen, which Luke I don't... Shen would be somebody who, if he somehow He's became a, a free agent, that He's would be the kind of option in the bottom of the lineup that I would think Florida would be interested in. I mean, I'd rather have Gudis than Luke Shen, but I'm a, I, I agree with you. But if Gudis is going to ring the bell, on same the way that same age, do. same same handedness, you know, they do the same things, but. Yeah, Brody. I, I, Brody. What Brody walked after the nineteen twenty season and went to went to Toronto and like he didn't play. All, I mean, he played a full season in twenty one twenty two. You you didn't have a full season this year, but in terms of the things that he can do and in terms of the ability to pair up, you know, with the defenseman Florida has, it's that's just that would be so good. That would be so helpful for this team. The steadiness back there. That's that would be such the right signing. I don't know if it'll happen, but like yeah. that's what we're that's what you're looking at. But also you're looking at when you're looking at defensemen because the free agent pool is so terrible. Like we mentioned it before with the Columbus stuff, and we're going to talk about the Blue Jackets because we have to talk about the Flyers and Provorov. Like eventually, some of those young defensemen have to be wondering if they're going to get a chance. <laughs> Like, yeah. I'm not saying you could throw them into the lineup immediately, but you have to find pressure points around the league to get those kinds of players. And you know, if you're a young guy and you see Florida is interested in you, the the immediate thought in your head's got to be, oh, they see something here that they can unlock in me, and I'm going to get a chance to unlock it there. And those are the kinds of things that the Panthers now have the ability to exploit in addition to everything else that they have to offer. And, but I, they got it. Well, yeah. I mean, like they got to be doing every avenue. They got to be exploring the trade, 
market, you know, Noah Hannafin, what's that cost going to be? That's an interesting be? one too. Yeah. Yeah, what, I would what's be thinking that gonna be? about I mean, that. If you're looking if you're looking at it, Hannafin has played 79 or more games in a regular season for six of his eight years. And in the last five years, played more than 20 minutes a game average in the regular season. You know what? That's, that's, that's another one that would be interesting to me. Hey, yeah, Hannafin would be one I would struggle with. Left shot, that would be a big, yeah, good, good you shout. Can, you can bring back. I mean, like, this is somebody that is, like, he's not a Carlson. He's not a Quinn Hughes. He's not... He's not somebody that's going to necessarily jump out at you, but his his underlying numbers look pretty good. I don't know if it's just because he plays on a good defensive team in Calgary or if he's a good defenseman and that's why Calgary, you know, got him from Carolina and, and nurtured him and, and, you know, kept developing him. But he's, to me, somebody who, if they're going to get somebody and devote some, you know, you know, four or five, six million dollars into a defenseman. It's gonna. I want it to be somebody who's gonna be on the ice a lot. He's on the ice a lot, twenty minutes a night and every night. He he doesn't get injured and stuff. And when, you know, the way Montour plays, he's gonna get injured at his size. Eckblad obviously is injury pl- prone. Forsling hasn't been too, but you never know. And I mean, he know. he plays through. But I think for me, the the key in also. Getting deeper isn't just the roster. It's just offering Paul Maurice, Sylvain Lefebvre, and Jamie Compton the ability to do a little more. That like We complained all year that they didn't break up the pairings. They set them up, and nothing changed. Like If Ekblad is out for as an extended period of time as you said, like they're going to have to do something anyway. But when everybody's healthy, and, and it comes to the playoffs, the ability to do a bunch of different things with that blue line, having somebody up there that isn't Mark Stahl and somebody that you really do trust in all of these situations allows you to give different looks to the opposition. It does not have to be Forsling and Ekblad all the time. It can be, you know, you could have play Forsling and Montour together more, which when we they played Forsling and Montour together at times this year, it worked, you know? And then at that point, you can give Aaron Ekblad less strenuous minutes because you want to preserve him a little bit more for what you're going to need him for in the playoffs. And it's that versatility that this team didn't certainly didn't have on the blue line. It had a little bit more of it forward. And that's really key. If you're going to be going on the runs you want to go on, you need depth and you need versatility. And I think the team got more versatile as it truly happened in the playoffs. But to have it more in the regular season is going to be something that, again, you do not want to have to stress the way they did to get into the playoffs this year, no matter what Paul Maurice said. Uh, And injuries are going to be a part of it, but they are for every team. If you're deeper next year, and they should be, because they have $11 million in cap space and a smart front office, then depth shouldn't be the problem and injuries shouldn't be the problem. And if they're able to do that and you're getting a team that can be in that Tampa range, the... 100, 103, 104-point team that gets in pretty early, can start to bring in new options, can start to try some new things out, and to get ready for the playoffs without having the jeopardy of missing it, that's really where you want them to be because I know the way that Florida is going to be viewed in the future because of what they did this year is going to be in not quite the same Tampa mold, but it's going to be, ah, if we're playing them, we don't want to see them. Because we know what they can do. We know who they have. 
and they're deeper than they were a year ago, that's frightening, even if we have home ice against them. That's the kind of team I think the Panthers are destined to be if they play their cards right. Yeah, hopefully. I, I... It's going to be interesting off season. I mean, they have a lot of flexibility, but that means they have a lot of potential to, and a lot of spots to fill. I mean, like we were talking. I think it, that they it's, have it's, about it's, seven spots to fill. I mean, that's four forwards and three defensemen. But compare compare it to the incomplete roster because they gotta they gotta be able to have a full roster. You gotta have seven defensemen and an, and a eighth in the minors that you can call up and feel comfortable with playing. And I want. I want them to have eight defensemen who play 20 games next year. With the injuries they have and stuff, it shouldn't be – with Montour and Ekblad possibly both not starting the season, that's two of the six. So that's how you get your eight. Yeah, let, let's – I want to ask just a couple of questions about just some young players who the Panthers are high on. Um, I think it's, it's Samuskevich and Benning, and I don't exactly yeah. know where they are going to fit in in this. I mean, Benning might catch lightning in a bottle. I mean, if there's two like right shot spots open for him because of Ekblad's injury and because Gudis is probably could walk, like there's a chance for him to get minutes early in the season, and maybe he plays above what we think because to me, he's got plenty of talent to do it. To me, Kanunin has the inside track over him. Obviously, they're both kind of guys where their camps are going to dictate. What, <laughs> what minutes they get and if they stay on. But, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at their D, Ludwig, Gildan, Kierstead, Schalen, uh, you know, Naus, like all these guys are left-handed. It's just Kanunen and Benning on the right. Um, so, you know, Carlson's also left-handed, as we've discussed. Like, So, you know, Benning could get in just because unless they bring in a bunch of guys on the right side – uh, and bring back Gudis, he's probably going to be one of a one of two or three fighting for maybe that seventh eighth spot that play because of injuries. Mm, I I think that he's got the possibility, and the other forward is obviously is Sam Miskevich, who I know again yeah. they like a lot. I yeah, I mean I think Sam Miskevich is a guy who I want to. St- I want to kind of play both in the AHL and the NHL. I think he's going to probably be more of an AHL guy to start. That's what I expect to, yeah. I he's to me he's got the he's got the shot that can be some and the hands that he can be a scorer. He can produce at the NHL level if he's developed right. So I don't want to put him in a bottom 6 role in the NHL. So Sure, he's going to get games where he can play in the third line and stuff, and that that's fine. But I don't want him every day going to the rink as a bottom six guy in the NHL. I want I think he's going to be a top six guy in Charlotte next year. Or you know, if I was the development guy, I'd make sure of it. Um, and, and make sure he's top six in Charlotte uh, because he's somebody who has pop in his stick. Like he when he takes one-timers, when he puts in a slap shot or a wrist shot or something, there's pop. It He's got velocity. He finds the corners. And he's got great hands to move around defensemen and stuff. Like He's the most exciting forward pick they've had in a while, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I was not a huge Tippett fan, but I think other than Tippett, I think he's been the most toolsy 
just because Denisenko has been such a unknown and he hasn't really been able to show it, uh, kind of being hidden in Russia. I mean, there's a lot to say about... I see you Michigan all the time with all the draft picks that are playing at you, Michigan. So well, like, it's going to, to, to be even more this year, let's let's be honest. Yeah. But, like, I, I agree with you about... But those are the two prospects that just jump out at you immediately, considering the hype and what happened when they signed them. Yeah, yeah. And, and because... But, you know, with, with Sam Muscovich, with Benning, with pretty much anybody not named Lindell and lost strain in... Uh, you're, and you're not part of the immediate core. Uh, you're, I think, you're liable to be traded. And I'm including Spencer Knight in that discussion. That we should, we should have a moment to talk about him before we move on to the to the Flyers because a lot, yeah, a lot of stuff but, happened there uh, over these last couple of weeks. And David Dwork had some really good reporting on this uh, for the Hockey News. Wonderful to see that. Uh, essentially, what he said, if you haven't read that, is that. The Panthers basically want to know by July 1 what he's thinking. Like, are you going to come back? Are you going to need more time? Uh, it seems like he's completed his his stint in the player assistance program. He was up and he was up at home doing it, according to David. So, if he's back next year, again, total unknown in terms of what he's going to be. But at the point that I always think about is just he needs to be a happy and healthy human being. Whatever he was going through is obviously really difficult for him. I hope he's healthy. And if he gets to the point where he can be, you know, an NHL player again in short order, that would be awesome. That means he's overcome whatever he's needed to overcome. And I hope that's what's happening. Uh, And I'm not going to here to be making predictions on that because he was in the player assistance program and whatever he was going through, that's between him and, you know, the fact that he was going out, I mean, I understand why people, to some degree, why they were a little, I don't want to say skeeved out by why that, that picture caused some reaction, but like that means he's in a position where he can go out with his friends and start enjoying life again, and that's important for somebody who's clearly gone through a lot of trouble. Whatever the case is with him, if he's back next year, then we go back to the, the same discussions we've had about Spencer Knight before he went into the program. If he's not back, then essentially it is cap space you get if he's not going to play next year. And they did sign a Swiss goalie, uh, Ludovic Weber, it's Weber uh, who I'm presuming is going to be the number one with the checkers because I think Alex Lyon's going to get more money than the Panthers would probably pay him as a backup. He's going to be a backup somewhere next year, and he deserves to be. Yeah. So that's that's in, it's always interesting I mean, unless, to see what they unless, do with goalies. Unless they get told before July 1st by night that he needs more time or, or what. Um, I don't know. To me, I, I, I tweeted briefly about it when it happened, uh, and I said maybe I'd talk about it on the podcast, and I, I will briefly – I've been in a position where I was on a hockey team. Obviously, this is amateur hockey, not professional hockey, where I went into an inpa- like an outpatient program, which is probably what Knight was doing with the program. I don't want to speculate too much, but I'm sure he wasn't in a facility overnight and stuff. Um, I wasn't either. Um, but, you know, I was away from the hockey team during a playoff run. But to me... On game nights, I wasn't going out. To I wasn't going out. I was I was going into the game as a fan and watching. I wasn't with the team or anything like that, but I was going in as a fan to watch and support the team. 
that's just what I personally would do. When I saw that, my personal reaction was, I don't know if I'd do that. I don't know. I definitely wouldn't be posting about it because if his goal is to get back to the Florida Panthers and be a part of this team, wouldn't you want to be like, wouldn't you just be more naturally focused on that, the biggest game in franchise history? You know, maybe maybe he was, you know, after right after the Derby, he was getting the boys going and they sat down and watched the game. But I can't imagine it was focused and, you know, clear-eyed, if you know what I mean, uh, given, you know, kind of what those horse, you know, races are, are like. Those big ones. Belmont Stakes, yeah, yeah. I understand. So, uh, like, hey, he was watching uh, Vinny Viola's like, horse finish second. You know, okay, he's he's a, he's the guy that we want to go on a run that Bobrovsky went on. So, you know, maybe he's going to study the tape later and everything. But I thought he'd want to kind of be in the moment, like if his goal was to get back to that. Because you know, I'm not saying he has to be around the team or do this or that. He might and, not have been but, allowed to be around the team. Yeah, and and like that's fine. But I'm just saying, like me personally. I, if if I wasn't allowed to attend the games, I would have been at home nervous about the games. I wouldn't have been out going to do stuff. I would have just been like, you know, hanging out at home, waiting to find out how the game went and like hoping it went well and stuff and like shooting around or something. And if, you know, if it was the nowadays where I could stream it, I'd be streaming it at home and being like, oh, this is how we can do this and, and like keeping myself in it. You know, that that's, and again, but I wouldn't have said anything. I wouldn't have said anything because that's it's just my personal opinion. It's not even one that I feel strongly enough about to like go and say, you know, like I do in the podcast, I always bring up this is what the Panthers should do. This is what you, I'm not recommending what anybody should do. I'm just saying what I personally think I would do in that situation. And I only said it to defend other people because I think it they're, you know, it's okay that people had different reactions to it. I don't think I didn't see anything vicious or malicious. I just saw people not understanding why somebody who's completed the program apparently and is able to do this stuff isn't, you know, a little more focused on hockey. Especially with the Bauer commercial that was probably taped in December before he went into the program, but was released right around the time that this, the playoffs were going on and all this stuff. And I think yeah, people that, just, that was, I, and people, people, people reacted to that the way I expected it to, because yeah. the, the commercial was almost certainly taped well, well, well in advance as, as, is, yeah. as it works. As marketing works. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but like, you know, I, I think, you know, people, are going to naturally be frustrated that this high-end pick, the goalie of the future, missed out on this run that we are talking about developing Lost Training into a really good player. Lundell, you know, just like, you know, some of the guys being around it, just like Denisenko and Hepo Niemi and like those, the defensemen, you know, all those young defensemen like that are going to have a chance to play hockey for the team next year got to experience it. Lucas Carlson, whether he's a Panther or not, after the run he had, then getting to experience that, um, I think is going to really help him. It stinks that Knight didn't get it. Knight didn't get AHL development. He got a big contract. He didn't get, you know, it's just, 
it's not really working out and you can understand the frustration and you can understand why he's a legitimate trade target this year because when Florida is going to be looking to maybe get a Hannafin or to bring it or whatever teams are going to be saying, what about Knight? Because he's one of the, the only trade ships. And now because of the assistance program and, you know, Bobrovsky playing well and a lot of contacts, Knight is maybe more gettable than he was this time last year. And that's just reality. That's, you know, and it's just business. I mean, it has nothing to do uh, about whether he, he, you know, he did what was right for him. He took a leave of absence. That's what I did. That was, that's right for him as an individual. I want him to be happy and healthy human. Like you said, first and foremost, and maybe the best thing for his career is it to start over new somewhere else. You know, that's not, you know, if that's the best for him, that's great. You know, maybe he gets traded not because Florida wants to, but because it's what's best for him. And he'd want to go to a place where he's, you know, maybe closer to home or whatever it may be um, in a better situation or, you know, we don't know what's going on, but, you know, if there's something better for his career, we all get to pick where we want to work. So why not him? And that's, you know, his right. And I respect it obviously, and support it. Well, we'll see what happens with him. I just hope he gets yeah. the chance to live a happy, healthy life. Yeah. Because going but through I'm what he went be, through sucks. I won't, I won't be surprised if he ends up being the starter by the end of the season next year. I won't be surprised if he's traded at the draft and becomes a great goalie. I'm not, I won't be surprised if he doesn't play hockey again, you know, like, I'm I'm come to accept it's completely out of everyone's control and you know it's going to happen how it's going to happen and hopefully it's for the best of Spencer Knight. That's that's the only thing that matters at this point is for the best of him as a human. And that's what that is what's so critical here and what we need to think but about. It's you know it's something to think about when you when you uh you know set up front offices and you just you know how how things work you know there's always going to be risk and how you take on risk you know like there's always going to be risk even the mature goaltending tender you took early on that everybody else would have taken early on things happen and you can't control it so i think that's something that teams should take into consideration not just with draft picks but all their moves sometimes the risk is you know Sometimes you can't see the risk yeah. until well after the fact, and I hope I hope that he is doing okay as a human being. And the fact that he was at the Belmont with friends, yes, most of his friends are hockey players. It's hockey, you understand that. That means he was in a position to be happy again, just enjoying life with his friends, and that's what anybody would want. Um, so let's move on to the Flyers. They made a lot of news recently, and we should talk about it. Uh, where would you like to start with the Flyers? Because... Uh, sick jerseys. I mean, okay, yeah. They they basically said, listen, the the people who have the most disposable income and want to go to the and will go to the games are people who remember. You know, there's a large sub segment that remember the '90s, like the heyday flyers. So let's go back to those uniforms. Let's go back to that orange. Let's let's get rid of let's wash out this new the the post Schneider era that Comcast did and go back to nostalgia. Let's hire good guys like Danny Briere and Keith Jones. 
It's going to be, you know, those are great public faces. I want them to, like, they got me wanting them to do well. Of course I want Danny Barrera to do well. Let's play off Danny Barrera. He sing, he drug, 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 drug us he, to the Stanley Cup. He dragged, Cup, dragged the us. Flyers. There you go. Yeah, dragged the Flyers to the Stanley Cup Finals, you know, in a way like Matthew Kachuk did. And there's nothing I want more than for him to bring a cup to to Philadelphia. Keith Jones is a great guy. Saved Eric Lindros's life in a hotel room when they wanted to send him on a commercial flight back to Philadelphia to get checked up, but he was so bad by the time they got to the hospital and they were doing, you know, afterwards they said if he went back on the flight, he probably would have died because they wouldn't have gotten to him in time or as a result of the flight. And it was Keith Jones that protested enough to get him to a hospital there instead of the flight back. And like, this is like, you know, there's just Keith, everyone likes him on the broadcast. I mean, when he was doing the flyers broadcast, he always made, he, he, for somebody who the corporate types like he truth, he told the truth about the team stinking and about what was flawed in the hockey ops and everything as much as he could. Well, you know what and was interesting about this like is I wasn't watching the post-game show uh, for the when Vegas lifted the cup for obvious reasons, but apparently uh, Wayne Gretzky said, like, Mr. Snyder's looking down on you and he's, he's wishing you well. And, like, Wayne, I mean, that's a colleague yeah. at a broadcast. You're going to say nice things when somebody's leaving, but, like, there's something genuine about that, you know? And yeah. while... And while the Flyers have traded the 70s and 80s Mafia for the 90s and aughts Mafia, because John LeClaire is also involved, and so too is Patrick Sharp, it's just and, a bunch and of I Flyers. And I think they would have gotten Simone Gagne if he didn't get promoted after That's winning true. the That's true, he did uh, get promoted for Memorial the Cup. Yeah, which congratulations, Simone Gagne. That's just a stepping stone to Flyers management. You know he's going to be there. <laughs> I'm mean, waiting I'm waiting for them to announce a special advisor, Mike Richards. You know what I mean? Like, they're just starting I'm surprised to get... that, I mean, I can understand why Chris Pronger's not involved. But, like, if Chris Pronger would have been involved, I'm, I'm sure he would have been. Yeah. But, you know, like, that's the other side of, that's the other shoe, right? Is they're still doing some things that, I've said they need to cut out. They've only hired ex-Flyers. I mean, Patrick Sharp wasn't with the Flyers long, but, you know, he was a draft pick and he was... He, he's an ex-Flyer. <laughs> yeah, he's got, he's, he's got relations to Clark off the ice, you know, like... You I know. mean, and again, it's Danny Briere, Keith Jones, John LeClaire. Yeah. These are... He's, he's, this, it's Patrick just a different Sharp era is, of Flyers hockey. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so it's it's... It's something that, like, you want to believe, you want to like, like, you know, why wouldn't you want the Flyers to be good? If you want the cap to go up, you want the Flyers to be good. <laughs> this is also at correct. Least, at least get back to what they were, which was perennially in the playoffs, even if they didn't get to the – even if they lost in the second round, you know? Like, that's good revenue for the league. Um, and it's a good hockey market. I mean, people may say that, you know – Philadelphia fans are junk and everything like that, but they're so passionate and they show up and they're, the amount they are, of stuff. They are they, not, they we're not talking about Tom stupid K. fans in this market here. Yeah, you know, they, we both they, know this place back to front. They, these aren't dumb fans. They know what they're talking about and they know what they they know if they're being told lies, and they don't they don't they don't fall for that sort of thing. 
Yeah. And so I, I think they did things to get good treatment as they tr- like they're going to get some benefit of the doubt just because who's going to be delivering the message just because you know they're going to look a little nicer you know like they're going to have uh, jerseys that people are going to be a little more excited about they they just redid the rink last year and stuff people like that you know they're going to dress it up nice and get through the first couple years because they have a lot of work to do and the, the reality is it's so much easier to tear down and accumulate picks. It's so much easier to, you know, make the trades and get rid of the guys instead of knowing who to get back in trades, instead of knowing who to draft. And knowing when you're developing when you're developing all these guys, when you have multiple first round draft picks, who to prioritize and who to not, how to slot them in the right development so no one gets arrested. No one has to be traded away because, you know, they're just not getting, you know, you're going to have to trade ones away because they're not getting time, knowing which ones to trade and which ones to keep. You know, that kind of stuff is so much harder. It's what Buffalo hasn't been able to do. It's what took Florida so long to do until they just were like, screw it, we're just going to get a bunch of guys in their mid-20s and and just supplant those guys we haven't gotten yet. And You know, like, it takes a lot of, and then it still took two, three years for for Florida to put it together and they still haven't put it together for a full year. And, you know, so it, it, there's so much work that has to be done, but you know, for overall trade was good. See, that's, what's interesting. It isn't just the fact that the messengers are going to be good, which like flyers fans like the messengers and that's, that can only last you so long, but they like the messengers. The first trade that Danny Breer made was a good trade. I understand why some people weren't as high on it from the Flyers' perspective, but from ex- and because I know you so well, and because we do this show, I'm thinking of it from the from the perspective of the Flyers fan who wanted something different than what they had been seeing for like four years since Chuck Fletcher was the GM. There was creativity in the way that move was made. There was creativity in how they got the deal to be consummated and what they got back made sense. Like, yeah, if, if Cal Peterson is bad, well, who cares? The Flyers aren't supposed to be good. That helps them get closer to top of the draft. If he's all right, you've rehabbed somebody's career and goalies are always valuable currency. You got okay. Sean Walker, somebody who could be a serviceable NHL player that gets you more draft picks. That's good. And you got a prospect who isn't a high-end prospect, but you can put him in your system and see what happens. He was never going to succeed in that. He was a guy you liked a lot in his draft year. So, yeah, I, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand what people think they could have gotten for Provorov because he was such a de-stressed asset at the time of the trade. And they knew that that was one of the... Like, general managers, for since Briere was interim GM, has have been hearing Breer saying, I want to move pro overall. I want to move pro overall. I want to move pro overall. They wanted to get him out of there. It was just time. His, his value was only going to keep going down. I don't, cause there, I don't see a future where Philadelphia is good enough to, to jumpstart and get a, a better quality pick than 22nd overall. In one of the deepest drafts, uh, de- a defenseman who still needs some time, but in a couple couple years, 
you know, once he gets to about three, 250 games in the NHL, he, the, the Flyers are going to be starting to want playoff wins and stuff. So that's a great timeline for a guy who's going to hopefully be a middle pair, like, I don't want to say Racco Gudis, but Racco Gudis-like. Like, I mean, he shuts down rushes. He closes gaps. He doesn't mind taking hits. He's got pretty good mobility for a guy of his size and stature. And he breaks up plays. I mean, he's active with his stick. He works hard. Uh, and he does enough offense like Gudis. You know, like Gudis isn't great offensively, but he does enough offensively for his type. You know, it's so they got two second picks, two second round picks, and they're probably going to be in staggered years. So you got picks in the top 63 years in a row for Provorov in a rebuild where you think it's going to take three years. I, I mean, yes, maybe they left a little more on the table. Maybe there was something a little better. Maybe you wanted to ha- them to have a little more cap flexibility, but you don't know who else's contracts they are certain or think they have a good chance of getting rid of that they can take back Cal Peterson. And you don't know what's going to happen with Hart. I mean, he could be traded. Heck, he could be part of this 2018 Canada investigation that we're waiting on hearing what the report came out to be. But they they finished the report and they got somebody who, you know, who's who's going to be the, the, the piece of shit that we, you know, have to suspend, you know, or pieces of shit, um, you know, so to speak. Oh, boy. So, you know, like that's going to be a Friday in July. Is it Howden who just sell? Is it Howden who just celebrated a cup win and, you know, made a huge difference when probably if it was him could have been suspended on the spot back when they knew about it? Uh, You know, I'm not here to speculate. You know, I'm just saying I'm just saying we know it's a small hand select full of people and it's going to be one of them. But anyway, Hart could be gone. Hayes is going to be gone in some fashion because Torts is done with him. And that's probably one of his, he's probably only asked this year was I don't, Hayes is not playing on my team. So I don't care what you do with him. I don't care if you send him to Lehigh Valley. Like I do, like he's not on my team. Um, and you know, there's a good chance Konechny can go. There's a good chance uh, that some other players are going to be on the move People here. People have interest in Scott Lawton. Yeah. I mean, if I'm Philadelphia, I'm listening to everything, and regardless of what it does, like Lawton's the only one I consider team building context with. For everybody else, it's am I getting surplus value back? Are you if they're over 23 years old, am I getting surplus value back for them? Am I getting high value? Am I getting a good draft pick in a good draft year? Am I getting you know, like, if, am I getting that back? Like, if Lawton gets me in, into the top 25 again, I, I don't know how Philadelphia says no to that. If, you know, if trading Konechny can get you a couple picks, which I think you could, you know, the loser of the Bertuzzi sweepstakes might really want to pay for Konechny. Yeah. I mean, Boston, if Boston doesn't get Bertuzzi, they might really want to pay up for Konechny. You know, the, the the idea is to build a team that's going to win the Cup in five to eight years. You know, that's what, you, that's what you're kind of going for. I want a team that's competing for the Cup in five to eight years. You know, who 
the the guy that they're drafting seventh overall has more of an impact than anybody on this roster on their timeline. That's how they have to be thinking, and I think that's how they are thinking. Um, and it's I think just it's about, really they... clear that for the first time ever, Tommy, they actually are doing the long term rebuild. Maybe. Maybe we'll see. It's. I mean, I think Hextall did it, but he wasn't. He didn't allow enough people in to help him, and he was stubborn and he didn't get it done uh he he wasn't able to convince the stakeholders to ride it out and it cost you know and you can tell why because he didn't he wasn't able to get the buy-in from the penguins executive team to keep his job after a short term of doing not much and uh, so That's you know but i think if like, you look at Anaheim. They're in the middle of a rebuild. They have talent that's not that's getting there, uh, and you can see the core. Like, you know, Zegris is great. They have a lot of good defensemen. They have a lot of these, like, guys who are can skate, can move the puck, like to, like to stick handle and finish it themselves, and are 6'3". Uh, you know, like the Shea Theodore model that they always – and Montour model that they keep pulling out. I think Montour's like six two, right? You know he's. Oh, uh, let me look. He's sneaky big. He he That's, he is he had he had some uh, new dad energy by the way in that in that Stanley Cup final. Yeah. That was cool. I, I Montour very much impressed me, and I'm just all in on Montour. Six foot, six foot, six foot. He plays huge, King Kong. Love it. He's great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what I, I remember saying at the start of the I know we're off topic slightly, but I remember saying at the start of the season that I needed to see that some of these players could play above what they had already proven and my great example of that was Montour and uh, yeah no I was very wrong about that yeah <laughs> I, I couldn't have been more wrong about that but yeah. I mean so, it, but, it's I one mean, of those things where I don't mind being wrong because you like to see players prove you wrong by playing better than you could have ever imagined like that kind of thing's really cool uh the only other thing we didn't mention about Florida is the contracts for those players and I guess we could get that at the end uh, contracts for yeah Montour and Forsling they're they're a year yeah. out from UFA so I mean apparently we'll see they... I, I I think I think you let Forsling play out next year and you try to sign I think you try to sign Montour now and you see what it is and if it's too rich for you or whatever you, then you slow play you don't try to press the issue but I definitely don't I'm not interested in re-signing Forsling right now I mean nothing against him but I. That's just not a priority. My priority is I'm there's a lot of other stuff that you need to do. And I think that's something you can do during the season, depending how it's going. It's They have contracts they need to. I don't think that all of them are going to be particularly difficult. I mean, Duclair is going to need a new deal, but I doubt he's going to want to go anywhere. Lundell's an uh, I mean, RFA I, without Arbright. Duclair so. might be traded. You don't know. He could like, be traded, I think, yeah. I think that you know that is part of the di- – I don't want to say danger, but part of the opportunity of flexibility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I think they like Duclair for a lot of reasons, but if the right deal came along, like if they could turn Duclair into Dabrinkit, I think they would. I think a lot of people would want it with yeah. Dabrinkit. So, oh, I mean, that's, that's interesting. Like that, this is what Florida's going to have to do. And this is, and, you know, Philadelphia's going to have to do the opposite, which is, you know, 
do what Florida did years ago, which is just a massive lot of picks. And I think next year they're going to have to try to be bad and try to get to get one of these top three picks next year because they need a top they need a top three pick. That's that's that should be one of their goals. Get get as many first round picks this year. Get a top three pick next year. Get young players. You know, like everything. It's just build, build, build. Mm-hmm. Right now, and I think I think the the, the, talent, the, the, the talent, start was talent. a good start, but they've got so much more they have to do that you can't rely on just okay one good trade. You know, they're hiring a I bunch just, of former Flyers people. Like I just I just hope that they don't mess up mess it up in the draft and try to get too cute like you got two first round picks seven i i think the top eight to ten is i wouldn't trade up from it there's no reason to trade up because there's gonna be enough people who fall and that even if there isn't anybody who falls i'd be happy with my best available at that point i think flyers should not try to you know take the two picks just take best play their best player available at the time and just walk away because you're you're just building up you don't know if Gautier is going to be a center or a winger yet don't try to build around him you don't know who he is yet you know don't try to be like all right we picked a center here so let's pick a d because you don't know if that center is going to hit you know just pick the best players available in a couple drafts you'll start to get really picky and you know you the i think the panthers have to be picky uh, or, you know, can be picky because they don't have many picks. And if you really want a defenseman or you really want the center or something, you might, this might be your one pick in three rounds to get it. So you kind of have to, you don't always get to do best player available. When you're the Flyers, man, you should. You should for both those picks make it easy. I mean, if you can add, and add a third, add a fourth, you know? Just, so I think for available. I think for let's end this show by talking about the draft. We're gonna have a lot of obviously coverage after it happens. Got plenty of people that we're gonna you know, hopefully bring on to talk about it. You have obviously a lot of thoughts. This is a very deep draft. It's very exciting. So what are you thinking now? Is when you listen to this, yeah. it's a week out. Well, I mean, the three points I want to hit off the top, and then we'll just see how it devolves from there. Is uh, the top four, I feel like, are like the top four that are going to go are probably Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith, and but then after that, who knows? Because there's a lot of variety because it's deep. Because like that, that who's a first round draft pick? There's just a lot of guys who have those skill sets who had good draft years. You know, R six one. You know, have the size, play at good programs. You know, have the good path and trajectory. You know, like a guy like uh, one of my favorites in this draft is a right-handed defenseman from Sweden, Tom Willander. He's coming over to Boston University next year rather than going to the Swedish pros. And he just, you know, the way he talks about how it's a good fit for him and that kind of stuff. Like, this is a guy who's going to probably go in the teens. Uh, but I think in a lot of drafts could go higher, just the way that teams get enamored with defensemen in the back half of the top ten. Uh, you're definitely going to see it this year with Reinbacher, with Sandine Pelika, um, Walinder, uh, Shimoshev, uh, 
there's a lot, like I just really like the D class, and that's another point. Um, and then the third point would be, in a year where I don't really stump for USA Hockey players, like the Dev team, the development team, and the national program, I really like uh, a lot of their players this year: Oliver Moore, uh, Will Smith, Gabe Perot, uh Ryan Leonard. I think those. I really like those forwards. Gavin Brindley uh, was from the program. Now he's at Michigan. I like him. Um, you know, I. This is not a year. I think to me that's another sign that it's such a good draft that uh, it's not just the places I'm used to or I usually typically like or the player types I typically like. It's everybody. I I like everybody this year. And for context for this, if you're newer to Y hockey, because we do have some new people I'm going to imagine listening to this because the Panthers went on a run. Tommy has never been a huge fan of the U.S. Uh, development program when it comes to drafting because usually the team is so good that they just blow the doors off of everybody else. And you're pl- you're essentially yeah. in a bit of a kind of a junior hockey all-star team in a way. Like, that's kind of why, you know. I, I just – I think the American junior circuit has evolved beyond the need. I think they should do what Canada does, which is, you know, they don't have a Team Canada in the WHL. Or so, you know what I mean? Like they make Team Canada from the guys in their, and they make that draft league all over, all over the CHL and the Q and the O and the W as best as they can. I think that's what they sh- the they should do. Have have all their teams, have all their guys spread out across the USHL and bring that league really up to high quality to compete with CHL. Uh, I think the ha- Americans finally have the talent now to do it. And you see some of these guys who are buried playing second and third line on the national development team that probably would have got better looks in their draft year if they were, you know, playing for the Youngstown Phantoms. That's a great pull of a team name from the USHL. The Green, yeah, Bay, great, the great, Green Bay Gamblers great. in that league, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kyle I, Connor played on the Youngstown Phantoms. So. That's good. That's a very good pull. Uh, the only other draft question I have, it's – it's just funny because the Panthers have one, you know, reasonably high pick. It's in the second round. And that's going to be the case for a couple of years, although they should be able to find good value because they have set their front office up to do that, is the Mitchkoff debate. We're seeing a lot more about that now, like where is he going to end up? Yeah, and, and the, the new wrinkle is that maybe he's saying, telling, being evasive of teams, not like making it really hard for them to get to interview him. And, you know, being not being, you know, very responsive in interviews, but then with other teams making it easy on them to interview him, go, going to their interviews versus them coming to him, you know, get being more, uh, you know, that's what the reports are, that he's trying to influence where he went in a similar way that Yarmir Yager did. He wanted to go to the Penguins with Lemieux, his idol. So he told, you know, that that story's going around right now that, you know, he would, he was telling teams, oh, "I'm going to be in. I'm going to stay over here for a couple more years." But he told Penguins if they drafted him, he would come over the next day. You know, like that. You know that some teams, especially in this climate, if Mishkov is being more difficult and is, you know, not saying what, you know, telling you one thing and telling another team, you know, teams aren't going to want to put up with that in a deep draft. So he might fall. I could see him. Fall, I mean. The, everyone's saying Washington at eight. He wants to play with Ovechkin. 
But, you know, by the time he gets done his KHL contract, Ovechkin's going to be done. He's not going to be playing with Ovechkin. But, you know, maybe maybe it's, you know, he, he'll only break his contract and maybe, you know, the, they'll only, Russia will only allow it because it's Ovechkin and the Capitals. Who knows? There's so many rumors. But to me, I would pick him anywhere after three. I would pick him four, five, six, seven, you know, whatever the next spot would be. I think he's worth that risk. And probably as far as goal scoring uh, and creativity and making things happen offensively and putting pucks in the net, probably number two to Bedard in this draft. It's it's so fascinating to watch it because if you're like San Jose, clearly they have no issues with, with Russian players. You know, Montreal doesn't either. Like, obviously, yeah. maybe he's trying to shape it so he doesn't end up in Arizona, but I would think the Coyotes are probably at the point where, like, if they have any reasonable doubt, they're probably not going to pull the trigger, even though yeah. he should. Um, but I think that, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory, but like, it's very persuasive when you hear the stuff that he's trying to do X, Y, and Z, and you've got a bunch of teams that are a little bit, you know, iffy in certain areas. And then Washington's at eight and you're just like, if you're the, if you're the flyers, you draft them at seven. You have a pick later on. You can take someone a little more safer. Someone's going to fall in the 22, like Konechny fell to them, where he should have been taken in the teens or something, uh, or even higher. You know, like that that happens. Be ready to jump up and get that when it does. But get Mitchkoff. He's not – you don't care about his KHL contract. You're not going to be good until then anyway. And even if he doesn't want to report to you, then at least you have that asset to move when you're getting good anyway. But I think – a team like Philadelphia hopefully would be able to convince him over the three years of his contract or whatever, two years, that I I don't he's think worth Philly it. is a place that he would try to steer himself away from. I don't from. know. But he would definitely, you know, hey, we're going to build around you. You're going to be the guy selling tickets to Philadelphia. We're a legendary hockey market, blah, blah, blah. Just forget Bobby Clark. Oh. Just forget about him. <laughs> You know, well, the other thing, like, uh, the Flyers could absolutely say is, like, yes, we'll we'll get you some guys to make you feel comfortable. You know, we'll we'll find you some players to, to build around you that if you if you need some more Russian players around you, we can help you with that. You know, I, I think the Flyers, like, the easiest sell job is obviously Washington for blatantly obvious reasons. But, like, I, I think it's pretty clear now with him that he's not going, he's surely not going one, he's almost certainly not going to, and I would imagine not going three. So I think the question with him starts at probably four. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think it's Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson. I've I seen some people say that Will Smith might go over Leo Carlson. I don't, I don't think so for the reason that I think Columbus wants a center. And as much as I don't know if Carlson's a hundred percent in an NHL center, I would put money more on Carlson being an NHL center than Smith. Uh, there's just a lot of off-the-pucks effort and and just things he'd need to learn to handle it and, you know, face-offs and things like that. Carlson's much, much more projectable as a center. But I'm not saying Will Smith doesn't have the talent to go number three and be a fine pick. You know, it's that kind of draft where – there's a lot of guys I think could go three, four, five, six, seven that I'd be fine with. You know, like there's 
a lot of people I would not mind drafting. It's a shame the Panthers don't have a draft pick, but at their draft spot, they should be able to get a good player still. You know, 62, the you can find first pair defensemen at sixty-two. What, what's always not... interesting to me when we talk about you know later round draft picks and all of this is the idea. Of course, they're not as valuable as 63. a top of, 63. Yeah, sixty-three. It's of course they're not as valuable as top end first round picks, but good teams don't care about that. Like if, if I was in a position running a team or running a draft, I would always think. If I trusted in my scouts, if I trusted in my, you know, in analytics and I trusted in what we do, then we can find anybody anywhere at any time. And we have to make, you know, use of everything we have because, hey, if they become a prospect that, you know, has a little bit of buzz about them, you know, we could use that prospect as, you know, as you say, an asset to go out and get somebody at the trade deadline or this is a player who we really like. We're going to have him. We're going to need players on entry-level contracts in the future. Like, every draft pick should matter. Whether you're using it because you're using it to, you know, for a trade, or whether you're using it because you have a player that you really like. Like, that's what you should be. Every smart team should not throw away draft picks. They're always useful. They're always going to be players out there that you could find. There are more good hockey players now than ever before. So... If you're a good team, you can go find them. And, yeah. you know, I mean, that's that's always been my thought about that. Yeah. There's 12 defensemen that I'd be happy to take with that pick. Obviously, about six or seven of them will probably go in the first round. But the second round devolves really quickly into teams trading, you know, having multiple picks in a row and, you know, getting goalies are now, you know, are now getting going to probably start going. And then once one goalie goes, another goalie goes and it kind of starts a run. So like you can find yourself picking somebody that you had in your top six or seven defensemen in the draft at 62 and defensemen take a while, you know, it's not, there's no, there's less pressure there for that pick. Uh, so I expect, I expect good from the Panthers in that pick. And then a lot of, home run swings after it but i think they their goal should be to get an nhl player with that second round pick uh because they can and looking at their draft picks they better because their next second round their next top two round pick is in 2025 so uh you know it's third rounds and later after that might as well might as well make it useful uh while you can uh is there anything else you want to add on the the, the draft just a player or a team you're interested in because like this is going to be a really fun draft because of how deep it is but also like the possibility of picks being traded and players being moved is higher than ever because some stupid team is going to learn the wrong lesson from the Florida Panthers and uh whether it's the, oh, we need to do a Matthew Kachuk type trade, or it's the, we just need to get in and pray our goalie gets hot without, I, I see you, Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. What, the, what the hell are you doing? Please, please stop doing this. I mean, yes, it, it's mildly funny that it's the Canucks considering certain things, but. I, I think it's going to go crazy if David Reinbacher gets drafted in the top five. And it's very possible. The I mean, he's having a year in a professional league uh, that's not it's it's abnormal for his age he's got size he's a little bit of an older he's an older birth year he's an October birthday but you know everything else if you wanted to see if people were like oh I want a Maurice Sider 
this is just a very easy, lazy, you know, this is a guy that's going to track well. He's the, he's probably the number one overall defenseman in, in this class by a consensus. A team that wants a defenseman is going to reach on him. And then all the other teams that want a defenseman are going to reach. Uh, and there's then going to be a lot of good forwards left over. And I think one of those forwards um, is going to be Anton Wahlberg, who's a Swedish center. It's just July birth year. I didn't really pick up to him until the kind of the end of the year, and I was just kind of looking for more players. I mean, out of every draft year, I think this is the least amount of prospect coverage I've consumed and games I've watched and everything. Well, but, a lot of the time that you would normally spend on such matters was spent watching the Panthers going yeah, through the playoffs. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's a critical point and definitely an excuse I plan on using. But I think he's somebody that's going to have a really good draft plus one year and a guy that is possible to go, you know, someone you could maybe get at the end of the second round if you're the Panthers. But in the future in a redraft would maybe be slotted in at the end of the first round. So um, that that's somebody's name I wanted to call out. I like a lot of these defensemen. You know, I think Florida would be good getting a defenseman somewhere in here. Uh, goalies, it's going to be interesting how early they go off the board. I would, I'm happy Florida signed like a 26-year-old goalie, got go- a couple goalies last year because if I'm them, I'm just – there's so many defensemen and forwards I like. I think every through all seven rounds, whenever I have a pick, I'm going to pick a skater. Uh, you know, maybe if they really like a guy, but um, I would just wait to save a goalie pick to next year. I think they will be trades in the there will be trades, but not in the top ten. No big picks going to really move. I think teams are just going to take their guy, move move on, uh, and yeah, it's going to be a fun, fun draft. I think it's going to be one of, when we look back at it, a a very good draft. And I hope it's really funny that it's happening in Nashville because like, you know, the 2003 draft was in Nashville and there are still players kicking around from that draft. You know, some who should be playing in the league, still some who stall, uh, maybe, maybe not so much, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, you know, yeah, I, I I think it's going to be really, it's really fun. The, The thing that it could be said is, you know, we had that trade during the Stanley Cup Finals. Since the final ended, it's been a little quiet, but I think it's going to pick up soon. I think the only other question for a player I've wanted to talk about is OEL got bought out. He might be totally cooked, No, but no, it's also Vancouver. I mean, if it comes down to it's either OEL or Mark Stahl, sure, OEL. But I, I, want, some, I want them to sign three defensemen at least two defensemen they think are better than Josh Mahora. That's fair enough. It's just it's it's an interesting it's an interesting debate because it's it's a guy who obviously the goal should be, be the goal should be that Josh Mahora might not be in the top six next year because he's not good enough. And not saying enough. he's a, not saying he's a bad hockey player, but that should be the goal. Uh, you know that that, but I like building. I like defensemen, so as I keep saying over and over again, Oliver Bonk, Radic Bonk's kid, Monday oh, Nights. Bonk's player, mullet is, is having a field day with yeah. that. A great Twitter I account, would, by the way. I love those guys. I would, you know, I don't think he's around at 62, but, 
you know, if they can move up in the second to get him. How that's... tragic would it be for that account if Oliver Bonk was drafted by a team in the Senators division? I think he might. I mean, he might get just drafted by Ottawa and they have a meltdown. But uh, <laughs> Well, you know, they don't have a pick for a while, so, yeah. you know. They can. They have people to move for sure. Hey, true. Uh, oh, where do you? I guess we should end with the. Where do you think Debrinket's going to end up? Honestly, he stays as my call. Mm, that's an interesting one. Yeah, but I mean, I would hope he ends up in Florida. To me, the number one name that is realistic and out there right now is Debrinket for Florida. It's so much harder to find a 40-goal scorer than anything else. So when one comes, if you have a tangible chance of getting one, you get it. And I'm not saying it's, you know, you bank, you break the bank for it, but that would be my number one. Number two would be Hannafin, just because you're going to get a, good, a lot of mileage out of him, and I think he's a good fit to play with uh, Montour and to kind of complement Montour. Uh, so I'm not worried about some of his flaws as much. Um, and just fits in the cap structure, allows you to go out and get some more depth and things like that. Uh, but, you know, who knows if they can make a trade for Debrinket and Hannafin work. They don't have assets. We've talked about that enough. Um, but, you know, I want them going after big fish. I want them going after big fish. Uh, this team deserves it. The core deserves it. Um, you know, what Barkov, what Kachuk, what Verhage can do, uh, give them more talent and, uh, you can start planning some parades, you know, like do it up because other teams are going to go after them. You know, if you can get, depending on the price tag, if you can get Bertuzzi to sign up and, and sign on and, and, you know, take a good cap hit to, to play with the team and play with Kachuk and, <laughs> You, you oh know, my like, god if you put those know, two on like, line together get, would, that, like, would that not be illegal upgrade upgrade eric stall into into ryan o'reilly you know like like if you go out like that's what they they should be trying to get the best players possible and I, and i'm not I, I don't mean just big names but the big talents the guys who are you know i don't want someone that's worse than hockey than ryan lombard getting signed to a contract like i just don't like or traded for or anything. Get get somebody better than him. Get somebody that you think can, is going to do what Luas Strain did last year because he's moving up. You know, I I think that they need to they I can mean, really if, add if, talent. Some 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 a, a smarter team. I don't know how many smart teams truly are out there, but a smarter team if they're you know thinking about players if if, if like it's Hannafin or somebody like that, they might be looking at at him. But if you at, can't get Hannafin, you know maybe you can get. Is if Clefbaum's actually healthy, that would be a good get. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, you know, don't know like, about his health. That that I would think, be interesting. I think if you, again, you can take a chance on Pacioretty, thinking like, oh, if he just gets hurt, it's just the LTIR, it's the LTIR to get right Ek, to get Ekblad back in when he's healthy. I also I think I want to end I, it know, by saying that's that's what I'm thinking, man. Like, yeah, no, no, no. You have every right to. I think and the only other thing to say about this is the end was. Um, the atmosphere in, in Sunrise for the games was 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 really good, like yeah. that that was cool. It I would I mean of course I can't believe we went this long without t- talking about uh, 
Matt O'Brien was at games three and was four. Was he really, and, eh? I, yeah. We didn't mention that. We should have. I apologize yeah, I got for Matt O'Brien for that. I got some merch coming back from him. The, the uh, atmosphere was, it was really great. cool, was great. It came across that's on the, TV. That's um, the standard now. And now it's like, all right, we got to get a goal song. No, They got to get a goal song, and we got to ride it now. Go Either go back to Sweetness or pick a new one, but get the buy-in from Kachuk and Barkov in the squad, cause, and then you got to ride it for Do you know what year. would be okay for me? Do you know what would be okay for me? Any song by Steely Dan? I don't know about that, but you know what I think would be all right if we're gonna do. If you want some players to have their own goal song, if like Matthew Kachuk still wants to have his own goal song, like you can do that. That's fine, but for like you don't need Ryan Lomberg to have his own goal song. You know what I mean? Well, like, no, I see. No, you can't do that because it shatters the whole the, the whole hockey team. Like um, you know, so I think you just gotta you just gotta do it. I mean. I don't think that the players will care that much. I, I, I think they would be much more interested in getting a, you know, they just went through a run together. They had a lot of wins in the locker rooms where they played different songs. They've been, you know, they've done all the and road Eric, trips. And, and, and Eric Stahl bit on a dog bone that was just in some other guy's mouth. You know, it's funny how that works. You know, I thought he wasn't allowed to wear a rainbow jersey for that one. You know, I thought it was against his religion. That's a great place to end because that was an obvious joke and I'm happy I made it. Uh, We're going to have more with the draft next week. Maybe the Panthers will make a move and we'll have to do an emergency podcast. But this is a fun time of the year. Honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm on vacation through the draft, man. Like, I'm just, after this year and everything, I'm just on complete fan mode. It was great to experience a run. And I'm looking at this draft saying, you know, this is probably the last draft I really go, I really kind of, go into and i just you know i know who the players are i just kind of want to watch it unfold and just you know sit on a beach somewhere go to ocean city new jersey you know it's not called mac and mancos anymore they broke up very tragic activation sucks um couldn't happen better (laughs) anyway thank you for thank you for listening more coming very soon good night and good hockey